Welcome to What That Means with Camille, companion episodes to the Cybersecurity Inside podcast. In this series, Camille asks top technical experts to explain, in plain English, commonly used terms in their field, then dives deeper, giving you insights into the hottest topics and arguments they face. Get the definition directly from those who are defining it. Now, here is Camille Moorhart. Hi, and welcome to today's episode of Cybersecurity Inside, What That Means, The Cloud. I'm really looking forward to this conversation today with Monica Ene Pietrosanu. She's Director of Software for Cloud and Enterprise Solutions at Intel. Welcome to the show, Monica. Hey, Camille. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation because the word cloud is so incredibly broad. And I think that we'll probably start broad and then kind of narrow in on some some stuff as we start hitting on the intersection with security and uh, acceleration and whatnot. But I do want to start with what is the cloud? I still think that a lot of people go around saying cloud and, you know, maybe just don't really know what it means. Could you just define it for us briefly? Yeah, absolutely. Simply put, cloud computing is the delivery of computing services over the internet without the user needing to know the physical location or configuration of the hardware that delivers your applications for email or storage servers or databases. Do you know how it got the name cloud? I actually don't know. I know there are discussions about uh, building a sky above the cloud, which is going to get the clouds to interop. I think it's uh, it's pretty much the change of the computing model from uh, the mainframes in a room to our PCs on every desk in every house, like Bill Gates' vision was, to actually moving the uh, compute capabilities in a centralized location and abstracting that as a cloud. You don't see what's there. You don't know the physical location. You don't know the configuration. You just enjoy the services. So what, like, where are clouds and what are they? They're, I mean, I think of them as just a, a whole bunch of servers sitting somewhere together in some possibly remote location where energy is cheap because they cost a lot of money to cool. In the United States, companies like Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Facebook, IBM, Oracle, Apple have moved into what we call hyperscale data centers. And um, across the world, specifically in the popular Republic of China, companies like Alibaba, Baidu, Tencent have done the same. And what does it mean a hyperscaler? Uh, according to the market intelligence company uh, called the In- International Data Corporation or IDC, a data center is generally defined as hyperscale when it exceeds 5,000 servers and 10,000 feet. So that is a huge scale. It definitely brings a significant amount of control, huge efficiencies, and also huge responsibilities. And so these data centers, they're all over the world because it reduces latency. We still have this problem if every data center were in one location, I mean, aside from kind of physical risks to, you know, if there were a fire or an earthquake or something, but the closer the data center is to you, the faster you are able to get your data. Is that correct? 
Absolute latency is an important aspect, and that's why uh, all of these data centers are geo-distributed. Each of the hyperscalers offers multiple zones of accessing the resources. And right now, the closest you are, yes, and that's what also drives the uh, emergence of what we call the edge, where we are bringing compute closer to the user. And that's, let's say, the new evolution that goes uh, beyond the cloud where uh, there are servers, mini data centers, being set up closer to the users, whether it's your car, your phone, your mobile, your device, considered to be as a user, but you don't need to go back to the cloud and many computations can happen closer to the edge. So this cloud computing moving closer to the user is another trend that is complementary to all the move to the cloud. You're saying actually creating mini servers that are then closer rather than moving the compute to the device necessarily. You're saying the compute will be on a server that's closer to you at your local intersection or on your block or in your parking garage or at your factory or something. If it's about your car, you probably have a data center that's closer to the neighborhood or the city you are in. If it's about your phone, mobile device, pretty much the same. So smaller data centers place closer to the users. Interesting. It's like distributed cloud or something. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I have an, like just another basic question. So let's say you take a picture, you put it on one of the many public clouds offered in the United States, and now you want to access your picture. What exactly is happening? Like, how do you even see the picture you want? How are you looking at it, say, on your phone? And then when you press, you know, click, I want to sort of download it or I want to forward it or I want to look at it again. What is actually happening behind the scenes to get that to you? Lots of things happening behind the scenes for you. And it's so cool that you have a huge amount of storage, right? This massive amount of data that can be stored. That's one of the advantages of the cloud. Because the cloud enables you to scale up, scale down. And this way you can actually focus on what you need to have done. Downloading your picture. Don't worry that you're running out of space. So what's happening, you store your picture with one of the cloud service providers. And when you want to look at it, you bring it down on your mobile phone or or your laptop. And then that means it's coming down the wire to your computer. Then once you looked at it, you edited it, you want to send it further. There is some processing that you do locally. There may be actually cloud services that you involve so that uh, your picture is edited, and then you can send it over to either another user, and that has to go through another cloud service, or to another application that also goes through the cloud. So everything happens through the cloud. The amount of processing that happens on your devices is quite limited, and also the amount of storage. And this uh, ability to scale is what uh, makes the cloud so attractive and brings a lot of innovation in terms of services to process your picture and uh, also artificial intelligence-based algorithms that uh, enhance your ability to create great value add. Yeah, and and I know, okay, and I want to talk about scale from the enterprise sense too, but I'm going to pause because I still want to know how does the picture find its way to you? There's an address? There is an address, an IP address. It's basic concept of client and server, right? So if you consider the server being the... In the cloud now, you don't see, you don't know what it is, you don't have the hardware capability of it. It's coming from the server to the client, which is your local machine or your mobile phone. Then you can have 
a subset of the services run on your mobile phone, on your IP address. Okay, so we, we can talk about scale a little bit. I think you know one of the interesting things since you're in software that happened is maybe you can help us understand how we made better use. We as in you know industry, <laughs> the world figured out how to make better use of servers and allowing uh, multiple people or multiple organizations to exist on a single server and kind of you know dynamically uh, scale up, scale down, like you were saying, you know. Rather than have a dedicated, like, this is my PC, nobody else gets to touch it. And if I'm only using 1% of it, or if I'm not using it all night long, it's, it's just sitting idle, right? Whereas with the server and, and clouds and server farms, you know, it's not operating like that. So can you help us explain how those resources are sort of optimized and shared? Absolutely. And I wanted to say that in addition to the large cloud service providers, we have Others that are, even if they are not called hyperscalers, they are still very relevant. So we are using cloud services from a multitude of providers and for them, multi-tenancy, being able to efficiently run the infrastructure is an important factor. Today in the cloud, everything runs virtualized, whether it's in a virtual machine that uh, collocates with other virtual machines from other tenants on the same host, or whether it's a container or a microservice. There are some new concepts that are changing the deployment model today that are actually driving efficiency. And uh, maybe you've heard already about um, function as a service where I don't rent a full machine in the cloud. I'm only, I only need a specific type of function to be executed. And then I'm paying as much as I need for that function to be up for me. And then when I don't need it, I don't pay anymore. It's very cost efficient to use function as a service. Uh, so back to the cloud service providers, their main job is to um, extract efficiency from the infrastructure, whether it is to um, also run with sustainable energy, because, hey, that's definitely an important aspect, or to ensure security. And security in the cloud is paramount. And we can talk a bit more in depth about that. But right now, the responsibilities that uh, cloud service providers and the challenges that they are facing are huge. And let me just give you some examples. I mentioned 5,000 servers for hyperscalers. So that actually brings increasingly complex problems that these hyperscalers need to solve. Even a statistically small incidence rate can manifest very meaningfully at hyperscale. As the core count, memory capacity, number of server scale, so does the impact of problems that we may consider negligible when we talk about our laptop. So every failure is going to be augmented at scale. Then the other uh, aspect uh, is that we cannot have downtime. The cloud service providers need to provide updates without the downtime. Rebooting the system to fix issues and enable post-deployment features is no longer an option. And ensuring reliable platforms update is a big deal for cloud service providers and also effectively root causing issues. The goal of the cloud service providers is to bring to their users the benefits of the latest hardware and software while minimizing disruptions and downtime. So there is a lot of responsibility. We know cloud is always on and an hour of downtime from Amazon or Google not only all over the news, it, front page not news. only becomes <laughs> worldwide news, but also has a huge impact on businesses. 
because this uh, pervasive adoption of the cloud architecture has transformed the business and how our society functions today. Today, cloud applications enrich lives, power companies, keep our world running. And that's why people and organizations count on cloud to deliver the services and experiences that they trust and that they need. Okay, so let's talk about security. And I'm also quite interested in the privacy aspect. I don't know if you want to mesh these answers together. I think they maybe are different. You know, on the security front, of course, I'm interested in how cloud service providers and clouds are protected and, and how they detect potential attacks. On the privacy front, I'm very interested in you're sending some personal information or some important IP from your company to a cloud. Who could potentially see that information and at what point could they see it? Is it when you're sending the data there, when you're storing the data, when the data is being processed? This is very important because security is something that is in the top three CIO challenges when moving to cloud. Chief information officers have a lot of things to, to worry. More than this, 60% of the developers today deem security to be extremely important for their applications that target cloud environments. As a result, there are many new developments to advance security in cloud, but there are also a growing number of increasingly sophisticated threats being faced by the cloud service providers. And let me give you Three examples, and I will include privacy is definitely part of security. It's, it's an important aspect. But just um, to, to give you an example of what's going on, security budgets have constantly been increased by IT execs worldwide. Even that happens, software-only-based security measures or isolated solutions can still fall short. For example, 75% of the companies attacked by ransomware run up-to-date endpoint protection software. And then there are these high-profile breaches that we keep hearing that highlight the risk even more. Last year in March, suspected Russian hackers stole thousands of emails after breaching the email server of US State Department. And then in August last year, hacker attacked an unprotected router in the T-Mobile network to access, I think they got uh, access to over 50 million personal details. So the costs are massive. Overall, an amazing figure of uh, $10.5 trillion is what's the projected annual cybercrime cost worldwide by 2025. That's huge. And at the same time, back to your privacy question, cloud companies have to navigate a growing set of data protection and cybersecurity regulations from the Global Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, in Europe to the Executive Order on Cybersecurity in the US. And if a cloud company doesn't meet the security requirements, they can face legal risks. So it's a huge amount of, of responsibility. And as you said, data needs to be protected everywhere when it is in use when it is in flight and when it is at rest. And over the past decade, there's been significant progress safeguarding data that is in flight when it's traveling over the network or at rest being stored. But that means that data is often most vulnerable when it's actually in use. 
And this risk has emerged as the one of the most pressing security challenge that we face. The threats have increased and um, are many times internal. So even if you are inside of your company's firewall, the attack can come from uh, internal actors that are not trusted. And that's why all this discussion about uh, protecting the data in use as well as a zero trust approach are super important. So the public cloud companies are often operating systems as well as applications on top of the operating systems, like an email application, let's say, or photo editing application. They're also owning and running the actual servers, the hardware, that the virtual machine monitors and the operating system and the applications are on. And they're storing all of the data, your data or your IP, because they have the hardware and the operating system and the application. Can they access the data itself? They can access several layers of the data. And as I mentioned, there is a lot of control that they have, but also a lot of responsibility. And that's what's generating uh, legislation that comes to to clarify that, as well as technologies like uh, Intel SGX, who is encrypting data in action, as well as other technologies who encrypt data who is stored on various servers. So obviously, if the data is encrypted on a storage server, the public cloud provider will not be able to access it. Uh, And also, there is a lot of encryption that happens when the data is traveling through the network in between the servers. So today, the data is being secured at every point and at every moment. And that gives, let's say, limited ability to what the cloud service provider is able to access. However, we also need to to understand that they assume a huge um, responsibility in delivering the services. So they need to be able to ensure uh, monitoring of various events if something goes wrong so that they are able to root cause, as well as the ability to stand up new services without downtime. So there is uh, there is access for auditing as well as setting up new services. Is the access for auditing access to private data or is it access to some kind of event history of like what's being done or run? It's access to event history so that they see what's happening. And that history is definitely including information that helps them troubleshoot the situations. You mentioned how the cloud's going to look really different because we're adding a bunch of micro clouds closer to the edge or closer to where you know people are, are requesting information on their devices or cars or homes. How is that relationship going to exist with giant centralized server farms? Like, How is data going to move differently than it does today? And how is the protection of that data going to look different? All the technologies that uh, have emerged in the the public cloud, the large data centers, is being transferred to the edge. And that's benefiting the edge in in a huge way. Now, they will continue to coexist. There are um, performance implications, right? That's why we want to have uh, mini data centers closer to the users. But there are also operations that will happen in the large data center, in the public cloud because of security, because of performance aspects, and so on. Uh, So I think it's a diversification, and uh, they will continue to to coexist. And I'm seeing developers actually taking advantage of both models. 
Thank you very much, Monica Ene Pietrosanu. You are a fascinating person to discuss the cloud with. Thank you, Camille. Really enjoyed the discussion. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cybersecurity Inside. Follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Morehart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation.